The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello, party people. Welcome to Laughter Permitted. I'm Julie Foudy. I'm Lynn Ozawi. One of my favorite parts of Laughter Permitted is getting to learn about and learn from all of our amazing guests. And every mm-hmm. once in a while, I learned something new about you, Julie. Mm -hmm. Little did I know that in addition to your illustrious soccer career, that you had a brush with fame when it came to bobsledding. (laughs) Yes. Shauna Robach, my former San Diego spirit. Go San Diego spirit. That was old back in the days at WSA teammate was the one who took me down that hill. Good times. Um, And our guest today is four-time Olympic medalist in bobsledding. That's right. Four-time Olympic medalist in bobsledding. And by the way, three of them are gold. And her name is Kaylee Humphreys. We met up with Kaylee in real life in Ojai, California at the ESPNW Summit and spoke with her about her journey that has included competing for both her native country of Canada and the United States, which we talk about. And Kaylee is the most decorated woman in bobsled history. And get this, she's also the first woman in Olympic history to win a gold medal for two different countries. Slow clap. <laughs> okay. Yay. Just two months after becoming a U.S. citizen, Kaylee competed in the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics and won gold for the U.S. in the Monobob event. And her other two golds were for Team Canada at the 2010 and 2014 Winter Olympic Games and the two women bobsled. Along with talking about her bobsled career, Kaylee shares her struggles with endometriosis and the challenges she and her husband have faced when it comes to trying to have children. It is a candid conversation and a very important one. So get comfortable listening. It's Kaylee Humphreys. Hey there, Dope Village. As y'all know, Ally has backed Laughter Permitted since day one of our podcast as our financial ally. And honestly, Lynn, I might just tattoo Ally on my forehead. And Ally is currently on a mission to change the game for women sports. And get this, along with being sponsors of the National Women's Soccer League, Atlantic Coast Conference, United States Golf Association, and the Las Vegas Aces, Ally has committed to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And you, my friends, can be part of the change by watching your favorite athletes crush it on TV, by going to women's sporting events in person, by, I don't know, maybe listening to every single episode of this amazing podcast on trailblazing women. Because every time you show up for women's sports, you are helping move the game forward. You can learn more about Ally by visiting ally.com. Hey there, Dope Village. Lynn and I have been involved in women's sports our entire lives. And truly, we've never been more excited for what's to come in this women's sports space. And one big reason, Ally. Ally has made a commitment to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And that means more money going to women's sports and more visibility for what these incredible athletes are accomplishing. Ally is on a mission to change the game for women's sports. So here at Laughter Permitted, we're going to keep telling the stories of trailblazing women. And every time you listen in, you are part of that change. To learn more about Ally, go to ally.com. 
appreciate you. What a pleasure. We are at the SBNW Summit in this terrible place called Ohio Valley. And well, hey, hang on a sec. You're uh, setting the scene. Oh, yeah, sorry. What, what, <laughs> the Ojai vibes have like gotten you a little confused of how we operate. It's we all the sunshine, have, you know? We usually have the guests yeah. at the scene. It's because okay. I was on the stage with the sun bearing down on I'm me. I'm good with you doing it. So it sounds good. You keep going. Set the scene of what you like about Ojai. I like the mountains. All the greenery, the air. It feels very like open and free. This venue is absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, and just being around other women that are such strong, like badass women. I'm like, this is a very, very cool experience. Kaylee, you are officially our second bobsledder yeah. on Laughter Permitted. We had the pleasure of talking with Alana Myers Taylor after her successful Olympics, where she became the most decorated black athlete in Winter Olympics history. And what was interesting in talking with Alana is how she told us how she got into bobsledding and it involved a Google search. So that's where I was wondering, what's your origin story with the sport? Well, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and they have the Olympic bobsled track from the 1988 Olympics, the Cool Runnings Olympics, as mm. people know with the Jamaican bobsled yeah, team. So. I'm an Olympic legacy child growing up in an Olympic city. Um, and so I grew up ski racing. That was my first love, what I thought I would go to the Olympics for. I've always been fascinated with the Olympics. And since I was about seven, I was like, this is what I wanna do. I love sports, the Olympics, this is my goal. Um, after multiple years, I got to about 16 years old, multiple crashes, I just didn't have it. I couldn't turn my mind off and barrel down that hill mm. and just give it everything every single time and you come last so many times and you're like okay this isn't fun anymore and Wait, you just didn't you no. break like two legs as well i did yeah, yeah so that kind of might have played a part <laughs> it's, it messes with you but there's some people that you're not going to escape that as with any sport there's going to be injuries yeah um but. and sometimes you can overcome them and mentally you can get through it and sometimes you you can't and i just knew that i was always holding myself back i was always scared yeah. i didn't have that switch that i could turn off that like michaela schiffer and Lindsay vaughn has where they can just yeah. go and I admire that so much in bobsled you have no choice here's the other thing you're just going there's no breaks that happens you have no choice you just have to make it happen or you're gonna eat it and so I think that's where you overcome that fear and that having to just override the system in bobsled but I couldn't do it myself in skiing and so that's how I switched to bobsled I looked it up online. It was going to be that or speed skating. I've always had really big oh, wait, legs. So you did have a Google aspect to this. I did have a Google Even aspect. Even though you were in Calgary. I was in Calgary. I knew the sports that I wanted to try, but how do you get into it? And that's... Uh, so same thing. If you're like, how do you get into bobsled? Everyone, you go to Google. It's like the first thing you go to. You go online and you just like, how do you try this? Because I didn't know if I'd be good. But I've always had really big legs. I'm a very strong athlete in general. So between speed skating or bobsled, I was like, these look, these look cool. And mm -hmm. I trained with bobsledders at the Olympic venue at the track. Just I was doing it for skiing and I saw them and I thought, okay. And it was the first one. I looked up how to, how to do speed skating and get involved too. 
Um, and bobsled was the first tryout. And uh, I tried out, and within three years, was at my first Olympics. And wow, it's it's stuck ever since. The thing about bobsled to me is that it, it as much as it is a powerful sport, it seems that there's an element of tediousness as well, <laughs> where you're trying to shave off one hundredths of seconds. What is the process? to evolve to a place where you are even doing that, that it's so precise, yet there's like so much horsepower behind the whole thing. To win a bobsled race, there's three aspects. The start, how fast you can get a sled that weighs about 365 pounds moving as fast as possible over 50 meters. Your start influences how fast you go down the hill. It's a gravity, speed, power-based sport. So your start is the only time it's the horsepower that you give it. Um, then you head down the hill, the drive itself, how you navigate the turns, the angles, the velocity, the pressure you bring on the way down. Um, and then the equipment itself. So the bobsled equipment, if you're trying to win an F1 race in a Toyota Civic, probably not going to work so great. So you need the equipment, you need the drive, you need the start. And then also just the detail of everything. And that's how you get the hundreds of a second you learn. And the sport teaches you very quickly what an inch or two being too high or too low can do. If you're slightly off your mark, that equates to a hundredth or two. If you tap the wall, that's going to be two to five hundredths. Mm. If you go sideways down a straightaway versus straight, you know you're at two tenths of a second. So you just try and find every hundredth you can because you can win or lose by a hundredth of a second. I've had one run on the Park City track. Okay. And what'd you think? Brutal. (laughs) It's bumpy. Not yes. You pick it's not what like when think. you see it like visually on TV, it's so smooth looking. And you all I remember is I was in you call it the sled, right? Yeah. I was in the sled. Yeah. And I was like my head like bouncing against the sides. And it's just bumpy, bumpy, bumpy. I was like, what the hell? No one told me it was gonna be like this. Yep. I thought it was a smooth ride. It looks smooth. And yes. if we do it right, it does. And it it looks fun, kind of like a water slide, like you just go in the corner. But you'll go from like a flat surface to 90 degrees on a wall in literally yeah. a, a hundredth or two of a second. And you have G forces. Oh yeah, the G's. We oh. go through anywhere from three to seven G's. Like a yeah, yeah. An F one pilot does six and a half G's. <laughs> so they just do it for longer periods. But we reach the same G forces as a lot of yeah. like yeah fighter pilots that. and like any of the car racing guys. Like it's there's a lot of G's and a lot of pressure. It's just very temporary. But there's no springs really. There's a couple springs in the sled but they don't allow like shocks like a car has. Yeah. Um, it actually makes the sleds go too fast and it becomes too unsafe, so they regulate. So oh, you're not allowed to have oh, shocks or springs to absorb learning. the vibration. Gosh. So it's a safety aspect, but oh. I got a thick neck for a reason. I won't lie. <laughs> my, I'm, I'm very trap dominant and my shoulders come up to protect my neck for four yeah. months out of the year. So I definitely have to override that in the summer to learn to use other muscles to exist. Uh, but yeah, it's part of the sport. What do you enjoy most about it? I enjoy the ability to push myself. Um, it still scares the shit out of me sometimes. I don't know if I can say that word, but oh it, yeah, <laughs> like there's still moments. I've been doing it 20 years now, and you get to a track and you're like, do I know what to do? Like, do I remember how to do this? And then you take one or two runs, and you're like, oh, I got this. But yeah. for a minute, you're like, oh. And until you're in the sled, you do second guess. Amazing. Huh. And even when you're in the track, you have moments 
the ability for me to try and be perfect, knowing there is no perfect one. There's always going to be things I'm looking for, but just knowing I can push myself athletically, but then also mentally. There's a big mental component to yeah. it that I'm like, there's so many ways I can challenge myself and be better. And I think that's why I've stuck around so long too, is I constantly feel like there's more that I can give to the sport, but more I can get out of myself as an athlete. And that pursuit of excellence of trying to be the best version of myself is what draws me to the sport. Yeah. How do you get that out of yourself, especially the mental side? Um, I have no idea. The, the <laughs> Honestly, I think to some degree, it's, I, I was born with the ability. To some degree, I think sport in general has taught me that you have to overcome obstacles um, and that no one's avoiding those obstacles within sport. I've been around some amazing coaches and some amazing athletes that I've been able to watch that have been successful but also failed. And watching them and then getting to recreate or put what they learned into my sporting career has been it's just fun for me to do I enjoy going to the gym and like crushing myself like that's <laughs> a release for me where most people yeah. hate it and it feels wrong but you're like man that burn and like yeah. that hard yeah. just sitting on the toilet afterwards you're like this sucks but there's something <laughs> about it when you're in the gym that you're like I got crushed but I like <laughs> Going feel, down the like, stairs. I like going down on the, the stairs toilet. and like feeling that and being like, <laughs> yeah, I, ouch. yeah, I crushed myself. And I think my body just craves that release. And I think that's what allows me to not shy away from the challenges that come up. Um, don't get me wrong. I hate when the mental ones come up. They are the hardest ones to overcome, but there is a pursuit in that too. And I think competing at the Olympics has taught me that you're the 1% of the 1%. Just getting to the games, you're the 1% but how do you win? You have to be the 1% of that 1%. And that pursuit of trying to, again, be the best, not in the world, but get the best out of yourself. And when you can do it, and you know it all worked, the peace, but also the joy and the pride, like all of it coming together, it all worked. And that is what I'm constantly chasing. And when you get it, I'm like, there's more. Uh, yeah, and to be the 1% of the 1% and not just one country, but two. Why did you make the switch from Canada to the United States? Just to give some perspective on that. So I competed for Canada for 16 years. Canada will always hold a special place in my heart. I'm a dual citizen now, um, but I left Team Canada due to safe sport concerns. Um, I filed an abuse and harassment claim against my head coach. And then it also included our high performance director and the president of Bobsled Canada because I was constantly being forced into an environment that I felt very unsafe in mentally and physically. And no matter how many times I told them and no matter what was occurring, um, I was feeling diminished on a regular basis. I was being embarrassed in public scenarios. I was being made an example of not only to my teammates, but in front of the rest of the world. And it really changed me. It changed my love for the sport. Um, and I started to not recognize myself. And as a strong female, that, that really shook me to the core. Mm. And not physically feeling safe or mentally feeling safe, about two months before the games, I wanted to go home. I wanted to quit. And I'm supposed to be a defending Olympic champion going into 2018. I was like, something's wrong. And constantly being put to tears and just facing a lot of sexism and 
being told I was wrong, but not just, hey, you're wrong, being screamed and yelled at that everything you do is incompetent and you just get so diminished and depleted. And after the Olympics, I stuck around. I was able to earn a bronze medal at that games and I knew I didn't want any other female athlete to go through that. So I filed a claim, letting them know I was safe and I just wanted a different coach. And throughout an investigative process, and sitting on the sidelines, I knew returning to Bobsled Canada was never an option. Mm. That I was being made an example of and our organization tried to cover it up. They did an investigation where they got to basically be judge, jury, executioner. They got to hire an investigation, pay for it, hand cherry pick the investigators themselves uh, in two separate cases. It was only when I appealed that I got to go to the Sport Dispute Resolution Center of Canada, get a random arbitrator. Uh, which proved that there was faulty yeah, investigation, which, which found that they had not done they had a not done their job investigation. Um, yeah. right? but I knew throughout this whole process that I wasn't going to be safe going back into that environment, and I didn't want to be around people that were going to continuously put me in an environment that I wasn't safe in. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't enough just to say something. I also wanted to protect my fellow Canadian bobsledders as well and other athletes. Um, but I knew at one point after about a year in and not competing that it wasn't going to be enough and that I needed to walk away. And Mm. a good friend of mine, she's like, you're not a tree. You don't have to stay. And I'm like, I I don't. And I needed to be willing to risk my career at that point. I didn't know, especially when I filed the claim. But that's also hard too, because it's your country of birth. It's where you've been raised. I have two Olympic gold medals for that country. And it's everything that I loved, right? but when you're, not only your livelihood and your job, but when you as a female athlete feel threatened, I knew I couldn't go right. back. Right. And it was either gonna, I'm done with the sport, or if I can find another way to move on, that's great. But my career there and my identity and my life as an athlete is over mm. in that environment. Um, and I could not go back for physical and mental sanity and safety so at that point it really just came down to choosing am I going to continue or am I going to retire right and I've seen a lot of athletes be put in that position and be forced to retire because they don't have other options and I'm lucky that my husband now fiance at the time is American and I called up team USA and I'm like hey you want a bobsled athlete because <laughs> that or I'm retiring from Team Canada and they were like heck yeah come over so switching over to Team USA was the best decision that I've ever made for a my career but b for me as a human being and as an athlete and just being in an environment where I'm empowered it gave so much validity to the toxic culture and environment that I was mm. in before was yeah. there a difference huge difference like night and day yeah Um, and I knew my career with Canada was over. And so I was good to make that switch. I made it not knowing if I was going to be able to compete in 2022. I went through three and a half years of immigration nightmare. Anybody has gone through immigration knows it's not an easy process or a guaranteed one. Um, and so that was really challenging having to compete and still want to do competition, not knowing if the yellow brick road at the end is going to have the rainbow when I get to go to the games or not. But I knew that be, having the ability to continue my career and being in a safe environment was so important. But literally within week one, the coach was like, so what do you need? I'm like, what do you mean? 
<laughs> and they're like, well, what do you want? Like, no one's ever asked how, how can we before. coach you? And I'm like, what do you mean? How can I coach you? Like, <laughs> wow. I've been told, yeah. here's what you need. Here's what you need to do. Like, you're this person. You're doing it all wrong for years. And like, embarrassingly in public spaces being diminished as, and like screamed at. And now you're just giving me full reign on like, they're like, yeah, you've been successful. Like, how, how do we coach you? Like, what do you want? How do you want to be coached? Like, what do you like? How can we, what's your plans on here? What do you think this other athlete should do? Because they're struggling with this. And I got to be a leader and something mm -hmm. that wow. I'd always wanted to, but I, I felt so empowered. And so that's my one word. If I get to describe one on the transition from USA to Canada, I was empowered coming over to Team USA, and I still am. And I'm so grateful, not only for the opportunity, but for the coaches that I had for the last couple of years, for the organization believing in me as an athlete, regardless mm -hmm. of gender, especially in a very male-dominated sport. Mm -hmm. I came in, and they're like, cool, you know how to win, sounds good, just go do that. I'm like, this is a very foreign concept, and so, I felt like I fit in. I was very empowered. And I think that allowed me to go on and win three world championships in two years for Team USA. My first two years on the team, yeah. win three worlds and go on to win Olympic Wait, gold. You, you literally like got your citizenship and then like two days later when you're first, is that correct? I did. So that was a crazy week, man. <laughs> I was like reading that going, wait. It just sounds like you just never gave up. A hundred percent. I did. There was no other option for me. I definitely was in a position. It was like, this is going to work or it's not. Um, but at the end of the day, I wasn't willing to give up. I didn't feel like my career was over. Um, I found an opportunity. I made it work. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't just going to accept status quo. And I think yeah. that's the other part too, Gee. is a lot of times we, I don't want to say complacency, but we find ourselves, it's easy to be complacent, but it's easy just to accept status quo. This is really hard, whether it be political, mental, physical, and people don't push themselves to the limits, um, or they do and they just don't know what else to do. But I was going to push myself as long and as hard with every opportunity that I knew how to do. And then it was going to be what it was going to be. If I was going to get citizenship, if I was going to make the team, yeah, if it was going to be an option. You went down that path, right? But I went down the path right. and I was going to try, even if it was going to lead to failure. Right. I was going to try and I didn't regret it. Don't get me wrong. I had my moments when I was like, why did I do this? And like, I'm not going to oh, yeah, get citizenship. And like, sure. what if I can't compete in 2022? And yeah. I have no sponsors. Like, how am I rebuilding again at you know, mid thirties, my entire career, like, what does this mean? And then you win a race and you look down on other countries, mostly Canada. And you go, this is worth it. This is worth it. Your coaches are like, what do you need? And I'm like, worth it all day long. <laughs> like there's just certain times in your life and you're like, okay, all that hardship was a hundred percent worth going through. Um, cause you don't know how it's going to yeah. work, but yeah. similar to bobsled races. And this is something I've learned within bobsled. If you focus on the end result, and again, everyone talks about the journey and how important the journey is, and I think you ladies can attest to this too, it is about the journey. And I can say that having succeeded on the world's biggest stage, but when I look at it, if I break down a bobsled race, if I focus on being the fastest, there's nothing I can control within just trying to be faster, trying to be faster. If I focus on each step when I'm pushing the sled, jumping in the sled, if I focus on corner one, how do I get to that perfect line, accelerate the sled out? Okay, it lines me up perfectly for corner two. I'm here, I'm gonna accelerate. And if I focus on those steps, there should be no reason why at the end, 
I'm not the best, I'm not the fastest. And it's literally the journey and like getting from the start to the finish. And when I focus on the process and breaking down those steps, I can then have the best chance at being the fastest. Mm -hmm. And so that's when, when I think of the journey, even within my career, it's the same. I focus, mm -hmm. the bigger the goal, the harder, the bigger the target, I just have to narrow down those steps right. and literally take step by step and make it very, very simple. But those are the things that allow me to focus on being the best in those hundreds of a second is those little details because that's what makes it not just trying to be good because that's overwhelming and way too much for any one person. Yeah. That's cool. That is really that cool. whole process. You even said you've, you've had so much success as an athlete that it was almost shocking to you that you've had such challenges with pregnancy, which um, you've also been very willing to share, which... I admire because there's a lot of people who don't understand endometriosis. There's a lot of people who under, understand IVF and the whole process behind it. And you made a point of saying, as hard as this is, I want to share my story. Why was that important to you? I think it's important because there was a time when I felt shame for it. There was a time when I, I felt small and I vowed to myself I w would never be in that situation. And there's nothing wrong with me. As an Olympic athlete, my body has always performed when I asked it to. It's always yes. done its job. I've always been able to push myself and that be the best. And for years I thought, okay, when I want to get pregnant, it'll just happen. Like I never thought there was another way that it wasn't going to. Um, and back in 2020, I went in, for, I thought I had a torn labrum in my hip, went in for an MRI for a sport issue, found a large cyst on my ovary that instead of waiting and see if it would resolve or potentially explode with the Olympics coming up. I had it removed and that's how I found out I have stage four endometriosis. So that's for people that don't know the uterus lining grows outside of your uterus. The problem is your body doesn't shed it like a normal period. So it turns it into scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So now in my rectum, in my fallopian tubes, on my kidneys, I have scar tissue and eventually my organs will start to come together. And then whenever I move, whenever you get a period or a contraction, that scar tissue rips, which is what makes endometriosis is a very painful, especially during your period, um, a very painful diagnosis is you're constantly with movement, breaking down internal scar tissue and there's no way mm. to get rid of it unless you go in and they surgically remove it. So stage four, meaning that it's on organs I need to live so they can never fully remove it, which means it will continue to grow back. Um, unfortunately with that comes infertility. So finding that out because it does block fallopian tubes and can block or grow inside other tubes inside my entire body. It can grow or be anywhere. Um, I'm very susceptible to ectopic pregnancies um, and then just issues in general. I'm lucky it's not in my uterus, but I didn't know that at the time. I've had to do a lot of testing for that. So if I can get pregnant, there's a chance it can be successful. It's just getting to that stage. So the doctor's like, you're going to have to go through IVF right away. So in understanding that we did a lot of research, I went through the 2022 Olympics. It made sense because for years, my husband and I had been trying from 2018 to 2022 with no success. And I didn't know why, um, my AMH levels, my ovarian reserve was really good. Hmm. My sisters had no problem trying to get pregnant. So I'm like, why is this not happening? 
And then we go through 2022, I have this diagnosis and now we know we have to go through IVF. But it was important for me to share that because I, I didn't want to feel shame. It's something I did. It's a genetic condition that may or may not affect women in my family. My aunt mm. has it. My mom does not. My sisters do not. My niece may or may not. We don't know. Um, but on average, it takes eight, eight to 10 years to diagnose in the US. And it's so often misdiagnosed. So often like, misdiagnosed. Like, just suck it up. Yeah. Like, and most it's people, pain, so what? Yeah. You're having your periods period. are painful. Yeah, it's and just cramps. And I don't know your pain versus right. somebody else's level and what's appropriate. But my periods are so painful. I'm like, really? Because like, mine also really suck. But you don't know. And doctors right. misdiagnose it all the time. And it's not until you actually go to try infertility being a reason that they're like, Oh, you've been trying for years? That's weird. Let's look at some other things. Yeah. And you're like, how? Right. You could have saved me so many Tylenol, Advil, <laughs> yeah. naproxen, Aleve pills. Like, my liver is probably shot trying to cope with the pain of all of this for a long time. But I always just got told that's normal. That's well, just what happens. Plus, probably being an athlete and being able to push through pain. Yeah, 100%. I would have never known had I not gone in for the MRI. And then had they not removed the cyst, they would have also not known it because we didn't even know with the MRI. We just knew we have to go in and take the cyst out. And it wasn't until he was in there that he found the endo. So mm. it was kind of by happen chance circumstance that we found it. Um, but it's moved forward. So I wanted to A, spread awareness of endometriosis so yeah. women at least have options if they can research like something's not right. Like my periods are super painful mm -hmm. or I'm having a really hard time conceiving or just internally this isn't working constipation being another one if it grows on your rectum there's other aspects that it can affect just health of your body wise so i want women to know that it's out there it's not your fault you haven't done anything right. wrong and that it literally doesn't discriminate if it can happen to me as olympic gold medalist it can happen right. to anybody right. like we don't get to pick and choose and so with that and then even with the IVF process, it was something my husband and I talked about. I'm like, do we want to be public? Do we want to just keep quiet and share? Um, and after three failed IVF transfers and two egg retrievals, there were times I was like, yeah, I, w I wish we didn't. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's important because what I don't want is other women to feel small or feel diminished or feel yeah. shame for struggling with issues that affect one in eight women in America infertility yeah, in general so affects crazy. a lot of women. And so I want to make sure that it's publicly known that there's options for people that they're not alone and that there's nothing wrong with them. If they're going through this, it's just a really crappy part of life sometimes. Um, but it also doesn't mean you can't be successful. I'm one that's never going to give up. So, I firmly believe it will happen for me and I will go through the process and I will be open about all of it. And if it helps somebody else get a direction or just believe that after three fails, a fourth one can be successful, then that's the plan. Then that's what we're going to do. How do you manage that with also trying to still train for another Olympics? It's because yeah. it, I, I mean, from friends tales of, of, of this, it's, it can, it can be a, a big burden they said on their body in terms of their swelling and how they feel and yep. right it as they go through it a lot it's been um a challenge so last summer um right after the olympics i went into my first egg retrieval and again i have no idea what i'm doing you're just now i'm injecting any and everything your hormones are fluctuating but i want to be able to have a family and so this is what it's gonna require. Um, 
I got 49 eggs, but only, which is a huge number, but only three were good embryos by the end. I was overstimulated. And I also want people to know a bigger number is not better. I've had a lot of women go, man, I only got like 10. Turns out 10 is better than 49 because Mm. you don't have enough blood supply to be able to supply 49 eggs and then develop properly. Mm. So out of 49 that were retrieved, only three became viable, healthy embryos at the end. Um, The doctor suggested doing another egg retrieval. So I did a second one last summer and out of 22 eggs, we did a very restricted medical process the second time around, tried to learn from the first one. Uh, 10 of them were healthy and viable and good, which is about what they say, about half or a little less is what you should get from egg retrieval to healthy embryos. Um, And so that was a much better process. And then instead of going right into implanting, in our sport, we get one year off for pregnancy. And so I had to make a choice. Do I go right into implanting, not sure how many it's going to take, if it's going to work right away, how I feel, do I stop? And last season was a really good competitive season. So I stopped and I went, okay, I want to do this season. I want to get back to normal. I started to feel very out of shape, very large. Hormones were everywhere. And I was like, I just need to take a break from this. Mentally, Mm -hmm. I was exhausted from the two egg retrievals Mm -hmm. and just focusing on like babies and babies and having families and what this means and everything. And I was like, I need to just be me for a minute and be athlete me and forget about that stuff. Um, And so I went and competed last season and it was great. It got everything. It took a couple months, but it got everything (laughs) back to normal. I got to just focus on being an athlete again, take a little break from the stress of family planning and injections and shots and prepare for this coming summer. And so this summer we've gone through um, four implantations, um, two that failed, one was early miscarriage. So it's just been an onslaught of like implanting, Mm -hmm. trying to do it. And now I'm trying to plan around having a kid, knowing I can only take a year off otherwise I lose my world ranking I lose my status so when do you do it how does that happen and then how do I still make sure I can meet the qualifications for the Olympics come 2026 because I can only take so much time off and you're not I don't want to do it right before the Olympics so what's ideal um but after multiple failed attempts then my husband and I just were like look we need to the plan was always to focus on family this year so I'm going to walk away from sport for a bit put all my eggs in this one family planning basket. It's year two. So if it's going to be out of my four-year cycle, right. year two is a good year to take off and focus right. on this. And um, so that's what we've chosen to do. And we're still going through the process and mm. we'll see what happens. But it's, uh, yeah, that's like Wish you the best yeah, of luck. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing the story. It's been a learning process. And I think the hardest part for me, the doctors don't work out. Like just go for walks. And you're like, okay, but like, it's not what I do. Yeah, right. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, that's and at so first, easy. you're like, that's gonna be easy. Then just not work out. Like, uh, but I get so stressed not working out, like yeah. not being able sure. to like push myself. And yeah. even then, I'm like, okay, I have to monitor. I can go to the gym, and health wise, moving is just so important for our bodies in general. So I'm like, I got to do something. Yeah. Okay, don't don't lift a lot of weights. And I'm like, okay, what's well, a lot? It's <laughs> like, right. I'm using like 200 kilos. So like. 300 pounds like what was a lot for you like 10 pound dumbbells i'm like yeah. okay uh five pounders, five pounders. so i definitely that's had my, to adapt 
yeah and <laughs> it's my be level. okay with feeling a little chunk um the athlete side of me is like okay you got some work to do but i have the skills to come back from it and i'm okay from it and it i think allowing my body and my mind to just be in this position makes it so i don't have to try if i can line it up great if i can't just make i'm gonna have to make the switch i, I can't live both simultaneously it's on a teeter-totter where i'm like 50 yeah. percent bobsled 50 yeah, percent yeah. exactly. no now i'm just gonna go all ivf i have the skills yeah. Mm-hmm. I've already proven it. I can come out, start all again, yeah. be good to go after a year off. So I'm going to just focus yeah. on that process when it's time to return into an athlete and do that to the best of my ability. But now just be in that future mom zone and IVF zone and yeah. focus on family for uh, And for again, similar to your path before, you won't look back and wonder. This is something, a phrase I keep repeating. I said it on a recent podcast, left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. Yep. Very true. So the next step in our interview is a game. Okay. You are about to go head-to-head, Kaylee, with Julie in a game of trivia. I'm a little scared. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Kaylee's like (laughs) spitting on me. (laughs) I mean, Kaylee's a a badass. Kaylee's a badass over here. Kaylee's a badass. She's like, and she's not like a former Olympian. She's a current Olympian. She's not like an old Once bag. Once Olympian, always an Olympian. I know, there they always no say that. Former. I always say like, former. They're like, shut up. So you have, we'll start with the squeaky toys. You have a choice. You squeak in for your answer. Would you okay. like the, the bunny or the tennis ball? Don't care. Give me either one. I feel like the bunny. Okay. The bunny right. is. Do you give it to Kaylee and yeah. that I got the king or Kong. Every Lynn game has a theme. Okay. The theme of this game is grab bag it could be question about anything best of five questions wins all multiple choice when you think you know the answer you can squeak in at any time like history math questions like what that's the thing with grab bag you just never know you never i don't know if it's math you're gonna crush me i I don't know lynn often rigs it but (laughs) i'm not bitter (laughs) question one what are the primary colors? Is it A, red, yellow, and blue, B, red, blue, and green, or C, blue, green, and orange? Kaylee. Red, green. What was the second one you said? Red, yeah, B, green. red, blue, and green. Red, blue, green. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> You got what a 50 shot. Red, orange, and yellow? Is that what you said? No. A was red, yellow, and blue, or C? Red, yellow, blue. A. Correct. Okay, question two. What? These are so random. What is the name of Homer's eldest daughter in The Simpsons? Oh, is it God. A, Marge, B, Sally, or C, Lisa? Lisa. Correct. Oh, boom. Marge is the, the, wife. the wife. I was like, I'm not Sally, I knew was not one Marge. of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's multiple choice. I'd be hooped if it wasn't multiple yeah. choice. Yeah, that I got good. you. One, one. Yeah. I wouldn't have got that. Question three. What does a camel store in its hump? Is it A, fat, B, salt, or C, water? Joy. <laughs> I can't do it with one hand. That's so sad. <laughs> Water. 
Incorrect. Oh, God. Fat. <laughs> Correct. Oh, Ooh. come on. We're- How come on? Then where do they store all their water? They just don't need it. They suck it from the fat. <laughs> I didn't get that far in the Google I guess, search. <laughs> I guess if it was water, it would be like a really like slosh. I was yes. between fat and water. It was like a, it would be like a, a waterbed. You know, you learn things in yeah. the Lynn game. I think as kids, Thank you're you. told it is water, though. I feel like that, that somewhere we got told it was water. Really, they're very good at preserving yeah. it. Maybe that's what's a- your source. <laughs> I mean, the internet never I'll lies. The, I'll believe so. the fifth. <laughs> Question four. Pickles start out at, as which kind of vegetable? Cucumber. Correct. I knew that too. But I and the, it. Game, the game officially goes <laughs> to Kaylee. Just bump it. Congrats. Good job. Good job, Kaylee. You want question five? Just for I, the heck I of could, it? I, have yeah. I won one game this year? I think I've won one. Yeah, you won uh, Courtney Dewalter. Oh, maybe two then. Two then. I won two. I'm, I'm, mm, we'll do a bonus round. Question five. Oh, yeah. Winners take all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, here yeah. we go. Yes. I'll do it. Oh, okay. Boy. Okay. If you scream in the mic, just give me a little. <laughs> I got your double, double-handed ball. I'm going to set this scene. Julie is hunched over her mic with two hands on her tennis ball because it's so hard to squeeze with one. Here we go. For all the marbles. Where did Tina Fey go to college? Is it A, Yale? B, the University of Arizona, or C, the University of Virginia? University of Virginia! Correct. I'm taking the win. Do you, do, you, you have it. You have yes. it. I, I couldn't have even. Winner take I, all. Kaylee, you had like, me. Wouldn't have even You're known. way too nice. It's all good. You earned it. Uh, you earned it. Yes. You good? No. Yes! That was a hard question. That was a hard one. Most pressing questions. Can you tell us about your tattoos and what they mean to you? So I have probably about 250 hours worth. Everyone always, how many tattoos do you have? I'm yeah. like, Ooh. Just by the like, hour. How do you, yeah, how do you judge? <laughs> I've got two full sleeves, half my back, like both my legs. I'm like, I, it, is this one? Is this five? Like, what do you, yeah. I don't know. It's not really a number. So I have about 250 hours worth. Um, I have my parents' portraits. I have the word strength. I've got things that mean stuff to me personally on who I am and some of my journey and what I've had to overcome. Tell me about Duchess. I'm, uh, I'm in love. Man, Duchess is my dog. She is a 20-pound petite golden doodle. Yeah, I have a golden doodle. So when I saw her, I was so like, smart. oh my gosh. They are the best dogs. Uh-huh. And at first I was like, oh the poodle i don't know but i like the hypoallergenic and the not shedding and we wanted something that was small but not like teeny tiny as well she is the smartest best dog i we will not get any other type after this (laughs) i highly recommend the doodle mixes for anybody but um she's an apricot color although a lot lighter now um 
she definitely has a bit of an attitude. If you pet her too much and she doesn't want to be petted, she'll just get up and walk away. <laughs> That's how swaggy is. Yeah. Mine. But then also likes yeah. her cuddles and is very needy at the same time. Oh, yeah. No, so, mine's not needy. I think she uh, runs hot. She's a little, she's bigger too. She's like 60 pounds. Okay. Well, it's not that she's not needy. It's that she's not a snuggler. True. She's, she's needy. Great, great distinction. <laughs> she is it's needy. It's possible I'm dog sat swaggy a time or she's two. She's needy. <laughs> Yeah, she's not a snuggler. She's very needy, um, but yeah, just she was our our little fur baby for a while, and she has yeah been a part of my husband and I's life since mm. we got engaged, and now it's been seven years, and I couldn't uh. imagine life without her. Okay, high, low, cheer. This okay. is the high of your career, the low of your career, and the cheer is for someone who's helped you along the way. High. Winning gold in 2022 for Team USA at the last Olympics in Beijing was a very big high. Um, Just with everything I'd gone through, leaving Team Canada, coming over to Team USA, the uncertainty, getting my citizenship two weeks before the cutoff to make the Olympics, um, being able to be there and then just give it my all and have it be that I won the race by a second and a half is a very big high. It was a very, very cool experience. Um, the low, wanting to walk away from the sport because of somebody else. Not, mm. not being in a position where I had the power to end my career on my terms with Team Canada and feeling so diminished and depleted and allowing somebody else to take me there. That was a very big low. Um, there's nothing I could do about it and I'm not ashamed to say I got there at the same point I did get there and that was a very hard time for a year within my career and the cheer oh I got so many people that I could give it up to my coach Stu McMillan one of my therapists Gordon Bosworth the people that have shown up time and time again my head coach on Team USA Mike Kahn the last four years or three years going into Beijing, just so supportive and empowering. And I mean, you know, there's so many people along the way, but the people that have been there since the beginning and stuck with me and supported me no matter what has gone on and allowed me to believe in my best, but have taught me a lot about Mm -hmm. myself, about my performance, or just been able to, to help get me where I am and who I am more than just sport. Well, congratulations on all you've done. What a friggin' journey. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's so impressive. It's not done. Yeah, exactly. We still got 2026. He's still still going. We're going to have a baby. We got a lot. (laughs) Oh, we know Kaylee Humphreys is not done. That's for sure. That woman's a force. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Lynn, your takeaways. I'll tell you what. You can get a lot done with a Google search. I seriously believe that if you have a dream and you go to Google, just like Kaylee did, Alana Myers-Taylor, <laughs> just like when I started this podcast, you can get shit done. Yeah. And GTS it. Very grateful to Kaylee for being so open about sharing her story and that she sees that as important so that others might feel less lonely in the journey. So thank you Mm. to Kaylee for that. 
Yeah. And that's my takeaway too. The importance and willingness by her to share that is so vital because people don't talk about this stuff. I mean, you have at least 11% of women globally who have endometriosis and yet it's misdiagnosed. It's not talked about. Um, they're told, you know, suck it up. It's just cramps with your period. It's not that bad. And so for so many women who have had to deal with this and it goes misdiagnosed for years and mm -hmm. years, uh, I think the importance is clear that we, we need to be talking more about this stuff. We need to be talking about endometriosis. We need to be talking about IVF. We need mm -hmm. to be talking about um, uh, menopause and, and uh, the symptoms there and all of those things. So I, I applaud Kaylee as well for, because it's, as she talked about, it's, it hasn't been easy to talk about. It's not easy sometimes yeah. to, you know, take people along on that emotional roller coaster. But yep. she said, I just felt like it was so important. Yeah. So yay for Kaylee. 100%. Questions permitted. What do we have, Lynn? We have some emails from our listeners. And a quick plug, if you would like to reach out to Julie and me, hit us up at laughterpermitted at gmail.com. <laughs> Keep those emails coming. Both of these are regarding our conversation about height in the Aaliyah Boston episode. Mm -hmm. So the first email, it says, it's from Martha. Hi, Julie and Lynn. I have a short message for you after listening to your interview with Aaliyah Boston. You may not know about short people like myself. People pick us up or ask to pick us up all the damn time. <laughs> like physically pick yes. us up? <laughs> From Martha, who is small in stature, but large in personality. So this one isn't as much a question as I think a continued PSA. One, we learned in Leah Boston's episode, please don't ask tall people how tall they are. <clears throat> And when it comes to short people, please do not even think about picking them up. <laughs> I did not know that was even such a thing. Who does that? Oh, God. All right. No picking up of short people, people. People, people. Next email, the subject line reads from a fellow tall girl. Says, Julie and Lynn, I just finished listening to the Aaliyah Boston episode and wanted to foot stomp the how tall you are and do you play basketball section of the discussion. As a 6'2 woman, I'd say 95% of my first interactions with strangers come in some form of these questions. I, like Aaliyah, would try to find other things to spark a conversation. I didn't go the hair dye route, but I did have a 10-year period where I would only buy the flashiest sneakers as an attempt so they talked about that. <laughs> to distract from my height. It didn't work all that great, but it was fun trying a new pair each year that topped the previous year. This is from just another tall girl, Katie. I had said after the episode that maybe I would start wearing a cowboy hat as a way to distract from being asked how tall I am. I, I think you, you tall people just need to be like, you know what? If it, if it, if like no one can be creative enough to think of something beyond the obvious yeah. and they say that to you, then you just need to be like, no, you're actually just all really short. <laughs> you little short squatty bodies. I, no? I like the idea of finally embracing it and seeing at it as a positive 
flip it. What's that? That seems like such a doctor hacker thing to do. Flip it. Flip it. Yeah. Or the person like, okay, this is going to be my personal goal. Okay. Because I think I fall into that too. Like you first thing you see in someone, you're like, oh my gosh. And you want to talk about yeah. it. Is challenging myself to not go with the obvious mm-hmm. that everyone goes with. And instead, find something about that person that's not obvious because um, that's, I feel like, intellectually lazy on our part. Mm-hmm. Right? I love how deep you've gone with this. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways. Okay. Well, I'm glad that it got some reaction. Speaking of deep, Katie did have a question. She oh. said, P.S., I have a would you rather, which we haven't done in a very long time. Oh, okay. For both of us. Would you rather buy 10 things you don't need every time you go shopping or always forget the one thing you need when you go to the store? Oh, that one's so easy for me. (laughs) I think I know where you go. The second one. Yeah. Always forget. I I am not about consumption. Mm -hmm. I'm so sick of consumption. That's my big goal lately honestly is consume less buy less do we even need new clothes why are we buying new clothes let's just recycle things like i'm gonna go all vintage uh second hand i mean what if we just all did second hand shops why do we need new clothes if i could still wear my high school uniform if it were socially acceptable i would it was fantastic it. yeah make it socially acceptable maybe that would be the thing people ask me about yeah but then you'd have to challenge yourself not to go to the obvious because that would be the obvious. <laughs> Good question. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Just to me, the clutter, it'd become too much. Mm-hmm. Too much clutter. What was the Mary Carrillo? Her dad gave her the, you know, the Ten Commandments. Thou um, shalt not waste. Not waste. Thou shalt not waste. I loved that commandment. That still sticks with me. Mm. Thou shalt not waste. That is a season one throwback. Yeah. Okay. Yay for the email thread. Uh, and yay for you, Dope Village. Thank you for taking the time f- for us in your day. We, as you know, are firm believers in the power of community and the power of this awesome dope community. So please help us bring more into our village, the more the merrier, of course. So if you can spread the good word about the podcast, that sure does mean a lot to all of us. And you can subscribe, you can rate it, leave a comment, all of it. A big thank you to our sponsors, of course, Ally and Dick Sporting Goods for their continued support and to Kate Diaz for our theme music. And as always, kids, remember, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. I wasn't just going to accept status quo.